Hey, this is Tony Boss Bowling coming to you from the Lincoln Attic Podcast. Hey, hey, it's ODB, the Lincoln Addict, hitting you with another episode of Lincoln Attic Podcast. Thanks. If you're a return listener, if you're new to the podcast, please tap subscribe. Really appreciate it. Of course, this is free. If you want to purchase a shirt or sticker, hit up lincolnaddict.com. You can purchase those. I usually ship them out within a day or so. We have a few shirts left. We do have two different sticker colors, lincolnaddict.com. Well, this episode has taken me a little while to put together, but episode 33, you may have seen from the thumbnail if you're listening on YouTube or the cover art based upon me sharing it through social media. On this episode, I want to talk about the differences between sedans and convertibles. So, um, it's going to be pretty fun episode. I've been wanting to do this one for a while, and there might be more than meets the eye when it comes to this subject. Now, this episode is brought to you by our family at DVS Customs, as well as Colorado Custom Wheels. You can follow DVS Customs on Instagram or Facebook. Remember, they have the best airbag kits on the market for these 60 era Lincolns. Oh, by the way, if you're not looking to lower your car, they also have a lot of other parts that they're manufacturing to help ease a restoration or a simple repair such as updated window switches for these 60s Lincoln Continentals. DeviousCustoms.com, let Jeff and team know that I sent you. Also, Colorado Custom Wheels, you can hit up Michael and team. They make what they call the Lincoln Replica Wheels. It's ColoradoCustom.com if you go under their premium wheels you'll see the replica Lincoln wheels. They're the best billet wheels on the market, the best shine, and the best customer service. They also sell a Lincoln Continental steering wheel that's super popular. Actually, our last guest, Jim Lincoln, has one on his convertible. Shout out Michael and team there at Colorado Customs. I want to give you a huge shout out to Steel Rubber. You can visit Steel Rubber, S-T-E-E-L-E, rubber.com. They have the best weather stripping in the business, so we'll talk more about that a little bit later. And thanks to Nick and team at Griot's Garage for the continued support. We had Nick on prior. Best detailing products in the business, Griot's with an S, G-R-I-O-T-S, garage.com. But getting back to the topic again, I think there's going to be a little bit more than meets the eye. I really dig kind of doing these deep dives, whether it be on a particular car or a particular subject, and it's always intriguing to me that this car is so popular, but at the same time, there's really only kind of two versions of it, right? Until 66, you basically had the sedan and you had the convertible, so it's always been intriguing to me, and I figured, hey, I'll go through this. Maybe some of you guys uh, will appreciate it. If not, maybe you'll be entertained for a little while while I go through this content. The Lincoln Addict Podcast Overview, this episode, again, is brought to you by Devious Customs. Thanks again to Jeff and team at Devious Customs for the continued support. Now, my opening thought of this episode is I just hope that everyone's doing well. Many of us have been in the path of the weather madness for this entire summer, this really entire year. I know California... You guys were recently hit with a hurricane that doesn't even sound right. Uh, in Florida, of course, I've lived here my entire life. 
we had a hurricane which ended up hitting kind of a more quiet part of the state up in the uh, the, the curve area where it kind of curves from uh, Florida up to the panhandle, almost like two different states in my mind. But a lot of people were negatively impacted. It is, you know, kind of some rural areas and, it, you know, it's tough uh, to see that. And then we also know some of our friends there in Hawaii were heavily impacted by the horrible fire. So wherever you're listening around the world, stay safe. I do know that the heat wave has been insane. And I've lived in Florida, as I mentioned, my entire life. Not really a stranger to the heat, but I can tell you, being that I'm recording this on September 12th, we've seen just this little bit of turn towards, dare I say the F word, fall in Florida, which we typically don't get, but just a tad hint of it. So we're excited for a little bit better cruising weather, especially vert weather, uh, which is a good topic to talk about, especially since we're talking about convertibles on this episode. So again, stay safe, take care of your families wherever you're at. And I know there's other natural disasters, tornadoes, earthquakes, and things like that. There's a lot of stuff going on. Of course, be safe and always take heed is what I always tell people to do. Now, the previous episode recap, I want to thank Jim Lincoln for coming on. I know it seems like forever ago, and I hate that sometimes it takes me a little longer to get these episodes out. I'll certainly promote, and a shameless plug is to say, check me out on YouTube because I've continued to put out content there at a pace that I never thought I would be able to keep up with. I have two YouTube channels. I have the Lincoln Addict YouTube channel. I also have our lifestyle podcast, which is short for OLP. That stuff is heavy on the mini trucks, the pop culture stuff, a little bit of hip hop, a lot of other stuff, believe it or not, that I'm into in my life. And that is all over on the OLP channel. And of course, I've got Lincoln Addict. So I maintain both of these. I do have a day job for those that don't know, but anything that has ever been close to me in terms of hobbies or things I like to do, I like to dive in 100%. And that's what I'm doing here uh, through Lincoln Addict because it's not just a podcast. As you know, I've reinforced this in the past. It's a social media platform, uh, mostly on Instagram and Facebook. It's also the videos that I'm producing for YouTube, which oftentimes lately have been kind of listing reviews. I know the listing reviews can maybe become repetitious, but I would tell people too, I try to put some different facts in there uh, to maybe help with someone's buying decision. Maybe there's going to be someone that's going to list a car in the future. It's going to give them some tips for hopefully bringing the most dollar amount uh, for their car. So you know, the podcast is obviously something that I continue to do, although I haven't been able to produce as many as I would like. I would certainly encourage that you check us out on, check me out on YouTube, because again, I do continue to ramp up the content and I'll talk a little bit more about some of that content uh, shortly. But again, thanks to Jim Lincoln. If you're a new listener, you can go back and listen to, I believe that was episode 32. Uh, Jim was also just at Ratfest 2023, which I want to talk more about. And it was cool to see his car out there. I met him. I can't believe it's been a year that uh, Tony and I and Tony's girlfriend, Danielle, that we all went out to California, California A. I really had hoped to go out this year, but it just didn't happen. 
So the previous episode recap is brought to you by our family at Grey Oats Garage. I'm often asked, what kind of products do I use to detail my ride? And the answer is simple. It's Griot's Garage. Their tagline is, have fun in your garage. Nick has become a great friend. He's given me some great intel at these different events that I use to post in social media, so I can't thank him enough. But check out their products like the Ceramic 3-in-1 Wax, best performing, easy to use, most durable They've got a ton of videos on their YouTube and Instagram that kind of teach you some of the things that you may need to know when it comes to detailing. I'm certainly not an expert, so I love consuming the content that they produce. Griot's Garage, great people. All right, so Lincoln Life Updates. I got a little bit ahead of myself there, but I want to give a huge shout-out to Chris Dunn at Lincoln Land, Inc. So LincolnLandInc.com really is your main source for buying parts where you can give them a call, speak to George or Chris or whoever picks up the phone. I consider them family. I'm very fortunate to live here in the greater Tampa Bay area. I live just north of Tampa. Of course, they're over in Clearwater, and I got a chance to hang out with Chris. It seems like just like a week ago or so, maybe it was a week and a half ago, uh, but we had the storm had that had come through, um, you know, up the the west coast of Florida, and all of that had passed. And um, that following weekend, I think it was, I got a chance to cruise over to Clearwater, hit one of my favorite record stores, and then link up with my friend Chris Dunn at Lincoln Land for a few hours and just kind of hang out, shoot the crap, uh, get some lunch, and talk Lincolns, and and just kind of pick his brain. Always love seeing his cars. The reason why I want to give him a huge shout out and say thanks for just a great day was, you know, Chris has been doing this for 40 plus years and it's hard to kind of sometimes wrap my mind around that. I work for the same company over 20 years and that's a long time, right? Some of you have worked at your jobs for a long time, but to think that someone's kind of dedicated his or her life for that long to something they love, which Chris has done, certainly he's dedicated his life pretty much to his love for Lincolns. Of course, a lot of that, uh, I think, was uh, something that he inherited from his parents and some of the cars that they loved. And it's really cool. He shares a lot of history with me. And I share some of that through social media. So again, as I said on the last episode, if you're not following us on Facebook or at least Instagram, I know some of you go, "Eh, I'm not really an Instagram kind of person. Download the app. It's free sign up and then follow Lincoln Addict. I post a lot of videos. You know, I get a little bit of sometimes I think insight that other people maybe don't get because they don't live here or they they're not friends with Chris. So Chris is is, is kind of open to say, hey man, you know, get a couple of photos of this car if you want. Take a video. Go ahead and post it. And I really appreciate him doing that. So I always promote LincolnLandInc.com. I'll talk a little bit more about the importance of their website. But again, I want to say a huge shout out to him, and it was really cool hanging out with Chris a couple weeks back. I try to make it every six to eight weeks, link up with them when I roll over to Clearwater, so hopefully I'll be doing again that soon, uh, doing that again soon before our next cruise, which is in November. Now, in terms of Lincoln Life updates, I know the Raddies, they held, as I mentioned, their Rat Fest 2023 this past weekend. And I got to give the Raddies a huge shout out. Uh, I love the collab posts that they often will do with me, the Lincoln Addict. So I really appreciate that. And uh, I would tell you, uh, check out the R-A-T-T 
YS. Now, I know they're on Instagram. They have a closed Facebook group. I haven't seen recently if they have a regular Facebook group, but certainly you can search for them, The Raddies, R-A-T-T-Y-S. And judging from the videos, right, because that's pretty much what Instagram is, some photos, but really video has taken over. You know, the famous song, Video Killed the Radio Star? Well, video's kind of killing the photo star uh, these days. That's kind of what gets the uh, the views, if you will, uh, the traction in social media. But certainly seeing all their videos, seeing them having a good time out there made me want to be back out in California. So shout out to Roberto, Rusty, and really the entire crew for the awesome event that they had this past uh, weekend, including in the past years as well. Now, speaking of last weekend, I know Suicide Kings, as well as the Raddies, these different um, groups, they were also at Cruising for a Cure, and I'm sure some of the Suicide Kings were probably at uh, Ratfest as well. I wasn't on my phone as much over the weekend, so I didn't get a chance to see who all was there, but I do know Suicide Kings and the Raddies collectively, these guys go individually kind of with their different groups to Cruising for a Cure. And Cruising for a Cure was an event that I went to last year as well. And man, it was a blast. But seeing them out there representing with their cars is so awesome because as other people have said, and you guys may know, California is really synonymous with the car culture, whether it goes back to the old days of surfing and the woodies uh, to just hot rods in general. When I think of American Graffiti and some of those images that pop up in my head, I think of California A, right? And when I see the Lincolns out there cruising and doing the damn thing, whether it's on PCH, Pacific Coast Highway, or just at an event as big as Cruising for a Cure, which, by the way, is for a great cause, it's always something that kind of gets my little antennas going because I love seeing it. And sometimes I wish I lived there, and other times I'm happy that I live here in Florida because I can afford to live here in Florida. So pretty cool to see all of those uh, different people getting together. And I would encourage you as well, uh, check out Suicide Kings. They have a couple of Instagrams, but you got Suicide Kings CC, which stands for Car Club. You have Suicide Kings CCLA, which is kind of specific to some of their LA members. And then you have Suicide Kings Northern California. Those are all spelled out uh, other than the CC, of course. And um, you can get a chance to follow these guys and kind of get a little insight into the many club functions that they're going to with their tents and their members and they're showing up, they're representing. It's very much like what we do in the truck world with our car and truck clubs. But of course, they're doing it with their Lincoln members. So I love seeing it. Now, I'll also give a shout out to Suicide Kings because they have, and I believe I mentioned it when we had Escalante and friends on the podcast, check them out on YouTube. Their YouTube content is on the rise, of course, and I'm loving these videos that are being put together. Some of them are shorter, which is fantastic. Some of them are a little bit longer, which is great too. So they have a good mix. I would certainly encourage you to check out their videos. And again, on social media, you get a little bit of insight into their world and some of the things that they're doing. And if you're ever interested in joining one of these groups or clubs, certainly hit them up and uh, they'll give you more information. 
The Lincoln Life updates for this episode are brought to you by our family at Steel Rubber. I would encourage you to go to S-T-E-E-L-E rubber.com. Uh, once you go there, you can actually see some insight now to their social media, which includes Instagram. Uh, if you select automotive, you're able to drill down for the year, make, model, and style of the car. So as an example, I'm going to pick 64 Lincoln. Of course, Continental is auto-selected, and then you can pick the convertible or four-door sedan. I'll click on the convertible, and believe it or not, there are 46 items found for the 1964 Lincoln Continental convertible as an example And I say this because oftentimes one of the big misnomers in our Lincoln scene is, you'll hear this all the time, quote, nobody makes parts for these Lincolns, end quote. That's certainly not true. I know it's hard to get some parts, but weather stripping is not one of them. Steel rubber, S-T-E-E-L-E rubber.com. The best products out there, you're going to invest a little bit of money. Sometimes they have uh, different sales as an example. Right now, they have the body weather strip kit for the 64 with a 10% discount, right? You're going to save about $350 or so. But again, this stuff is not cheap. But as I always say, you're investing in your ride. These cars continue to go up in value. Why not make sure they're quiet and sealed up from those harsh environments? Steelrubber.com for more. Okay, next we got Lincoln Sales, and as I mentioned, I've kind of taken a little bit more of a back seat. I haven't been as you know, involved in trying to really help sell many cars, only because my time is kind of limited, and I'm trying to focus my time where I either want in terms of family or you know the things I want to do, such as the podcast and whatnot. But rest assured, I've continued to post number one on Lincoln Continental Sales, which as of right now is only an Instagram page. It brings some highlights, really kind of PSAs, right? Public service announcements uh, to some of the cars that are going up for sale or that are currently for sale. So that's number one. Number two, I said earlier, if you check out my YouTube and you turn on the little bell notification, so if you click on the bell, you'll be notified when I post new videos. And those videos have really, as I've been told, they've helped different people, whether they're looking to get in and buy one of these 60s Lincolns or potentially looking to sell their car, but certainly it's bringing a little bit of awareness towards what is out there and what these cars are selling for. So that's a big thing. I, I certainly enjoy doing uh, the podcast, but I'll tell you this, you know, the podcast, you got to come up with a concept, you have to record it, you have to put it together, you have to produce it, you have to, you know, basically export it upload it, come up with a cover art, right, and a description. You know, there's a lot of components. On YouTube, if I come home and I see some cars hit the market and I want to talk about them, I can go boom and I can start recording and I can get that produced pretty quickly. So as I mentioned, check me out on YouTube. But Lincoln Continental Sales, we've continued to see strong trends both in the custom side as well as the stock category for these 60 Lincolns. Now, if you don't believe me, obviously check out, as I mentioned, my YouTube channel because there's another shameless plug. I've been covering these listing reviews uh, plus cars that have uh, sold and some previews of upcoming cars. So, for instance, 
with Barrett Jackson and Mecom, these two huge auction houses, they're continuing to add events to their calendar, and that's what they're doing. I think they're both doing uh, some events in the South. I think one's New Orleans and one's Dallas, right? And you can imagine Mecom and Barrett, they make their money on these different commissions that they charge. Of course, the advertising, you know, the TV show, the sponsors, and all of that collectively. So what I would say is, you know, w- w- with with some of the with additional auctions, what we're seeing is obviously more listings, right? More previews, and you can also go out at any time. Um, as an example, to Barrett Jackson, and what you'll see me do on my YouTube channel is I'll go under auctions. The next one is New Orleans, and that is uh, the last weekend this month, so the twenty eighth through the thirtieth. If you're listening to this kind of current in twenty twenty three. Uh, hell, you may be listening 10 years down the road. But uh, certainly once you go there, uh, you can go to the docket and then you can go to the uh, collector car preview. Then you're giving a search box. You could type in Lincoln or Lincoln Continental. You could hit enter as I'm doing right now. And basically, I'm seeing a 67 vert, a 66 vert, another 66 vert, so a blue and a black one as well as a custom 65 convertible and then a 48 convertible. Now, out of these four 60s Lincolns, so the 65, the 66, and then the two 67s, I want to say that I did a preview on one of these, maybe two of these already. So I can't even remember because there's so many cars. But as an example, the 65 Lincoln Continental convertible custom car This one is from California. I've been following this guy a long time. Uh, There's a website, Auto Evolution. They actually do a lot of write-ups, kind of very similar to what I do for the video side on YouTube. They do a lot of kind of what's going on right now, whether it be a barn find or an auction. And they, on their website, autoevolution.com, they actually picked a story up on this exact car. And if you go on here and type in Lincoln Continental, um, it'll pop up. So I'm not affiliated with this site. But on September 12th, the same day that I'm uh, recording this, this morning they did an article, 1965 Lincoln Continental, has Harley-Davidson LEDs, train horn because luxury needs that as the title. So I don't know why some of these titles are so long, but maybe it's clickbait. But for the most part, they're essentially going, hey, Here's this car that's going to be going up for sale. And what um, what's unique about this car as an example is it has a Coyote motor in it. So we've seen a ton of enthusiasts and builders put these GM LS engines in these cars. People do it because it's good power. For the most part, they got it down to a science. Uh, it's a little bit more affordable. I don't want to say cheap. But it's, it's more affordable than maybe going with a Coyote just for the overall cost. And um, that's a little bit different about this car. This, this gentleman, I don't know him personally, but I know that he's owned it for a long time. It's a low car. It's airbagged. You know, it's got Dakota Digital gauges. It's got a Coyote. You know, it's, it's a custom car. But as an example, that's one car that's coming up here uh, for sale this coming weekend. Now, also... Uh, in addition to those cars, if you go to Mecham and you go to auctions, you can click on Dallas, so Dallas 2023, and you can imagine these are two competitors, so 
the more events that they have, the more money that potentially that's going to mean for them to make. If we click on view lot for Dallas, we could type in Lincoln and hit enter. And here's what we're going to be met with a 66 black, a 63, pretty awesome color that has a 64 grill. So kind of that 64 front end, there's a 63 custom car on some billet wheels, a 64 that I think I did the review on with red interior that's not air suspension, a 69 Continental uh, sedan, which I've seen in person. So there's some pretty cool cars going out there for auction. Uh, what I would tell everyone, and this is something I preach in my videos, is certainly there are some differences between those two major auction houses. I think Mecham is doing a better presentation online, in my opinion, just of the photos, their website seems to kind of be a little bit more newer. The information's laid out, kind of nice bullet points, but certainly neither one of them gives you a lot of detail, okay? It's very different than bringatrailer.com. I'm not affiliated with any of these people, and I will tell you that Bring a Trailer to me wins out right now, even when you compare it to like Facebook Marketplace and dare I say eBay. Because there's so much detail, there's so many photos, they're, you know, they break down the VINs, they do some of the homework for you, and then, oh, by the way, you've got the chat comment section, almost like a forum, at the bottom. And that really just adds to it, because oftentimes these owners are chiming in, kind of real time, if you will, answering questions, right? Hey, do the auto drops work? You know, it didn't say it in there. Oh, yeah, here, here's a video. I just uploaded it. I just sent it to bring a trailer. You know, that engagement, which is so key, and the reason being is with Barrett-Jackson and Mecham, their business was really built on, you know, being there, and I know it's a little bit different now with things shifting with, you know, there's always been, I think, phone bidders. I'm sure there's been online bidders for a while, but if you don't have someone there, boots on the ground, you lose the opportunity potentially to inspect that car, right? Unless you have someone, again, boots on the ground, that you trust that maybe you're going to pay a small fee to go there and check it out. Is it a rust bucket? Is it this? Is it that? Oh, by the way, you can't always tell that stuff, right? Uh, there's a guy on YouTube that I may have mentioned in the past, but his channel is called Uncle Tony's Garage. I stumbled across him maybe about a year ago, and he's an old school hot rod guy, really heavy into Mopars, but he goes to his buddy. I think his buddy's name is Kiwi. And he goes over to his shop, and this guy's are, got a really solid you know, business where these people bring their cars, and he does a lot of different stuff, engine swaps and everything. But there's been a lot of, especially older people that have bought like Mustangs and things like that, and they bring them to Kiwi's shop, and they are literally lipstick on a pig. In those four words, I think lipstick's one word, lipstick on a pig. Those are four words I never want to deal with. Okay, and I don't I know people out there you don't want to deal with it either. You know, people that are taking, you know, non-convertible Mustangs, making them convertibles, you know, rust bucket cars where they're taking fiberglass and hiding everything underneath. And I'm not saying that an auction is going to do that, but what you don't know is you don't know the builder. You know, sometimes someone buys a car and then they go, eh, this is way more you know, effery than I was expecting. And then what do they do? They go, well, the best thing to do is just punt the car. What are we going to do with it? Well, we'll just take it to auction, right? Because the whole thought process is if you buy it, you bought it. It's your problem now. So 
if you go in with that mentality, at least in my mindset, that means, hey, if you're getting ready to put out your hard-earned money, right, or however you've acquired your money, maybe it's acquired through an easy method, but however you're going to spend your money, I don't think any of us want to dump money into a, quote, lipstick on a pig. So just do your due diligence. And that goes for bring a trailer as well. I think there's some things that you can kind of, was the word, ascertain from an auction. There are some things, you know, you can get an owner on the phone if it's bring a trailer possibly and, and talk with them. Maybe you can send someone there and things like that. But certainly the photos are the number one thing. And when you look at the auction houses and they're not providing a ton of photos, I would say Mika maybe more. I think more photos that I that this is me personally looking through their website. Like right now, I just clicked on a random car and it says view all exterior, 17 photos. Interior, 11 photos. Engine, seven photos. Right? Just so you know, the more photos the better. And you go, okay, we'll add those up. You know, maybe you got 40 or 50 photos. Well, bring a trailer's got 180, right? You're getting more, I think, insight into, you know, what you're potentially bidding or uh, spending your money on. So with all that being said, Bonhams as an example, and I think this was one, unfortunately, they don't leave their website. They don't leave everything out there like some of the other auction houses do because I just clicked on the link. This is one that Larry Highbloom had sent to me, which I had been following, but I didn't post an update. And it was a couple days after the auction. And Larry said, hey, I don't know if you saw this one. Uh, go ahead and, uh, you know, here's here's some information on it. This was formerly part of Frank Carabetzos collection. It was an older restoration, fully optioned car. Uh, the current owner since 2019. And this was the products. It said, quote, the products of Ford-owned Lincoln have uh, for years rivaled those General Motors Cadillac division and their exclusivity. And it goes on to say the purchased in 2019 by the present owner and currently showing 22,895 miles. Now, if that was the, the true mileage, that would possibly be the lowest one in existence that I know of. But this car sold for a crazy amount. Now, I believe this one was overseas, okay? So this isn't really boasting about, hey, these cars are selling for record prices. I, I believe from reading this one, this was located overseas. So it makes it a little bit tougher for someone to buy it here and ship it back. And then also kind of limits the market here because a lot of people don't want to deal with those logistics. But it's said that it sold based upon the calculation that I did through Google, it, it came out to 58,000 US dollars. Like this was a really, 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 really nice car, like super nice. So I wanted to mention that because although, again, I'm trying to kind of talk about the fact that these cars are selling well, that one was a little bit unique. And I certainly think that one of the key things there is when you start to sell outside the country or the car is outside the country, you kind of limit yourself a little bit. Not saying that people don't come through. Certainly, I know Josh Criswell in San Diego area, one of our friends, he has sold, I think, two Lincoln convertibles that went to the Middle East, and he got exactly what he was asking for, if not more, back in the day. So again, it's not that it's unheard of to sell outside the country, but in that example, I believe it was out of the country. It was a super nice car, and 
with the conversion to U.S. dollars, it was under 60 grand. Now, I say that because here's the last one I want to cover. And let me clarify, this is the car that Larry had reminded me that sold. I had watched it a little bit prior, the lead up. And the couple of days afterwards, he said, you know, Larry was like, hey, did you see that this one actually sold? Here's the auction. And I really appreciate him looking out. He also does that as well for some of the bring a trailer auctions that I can't watch the end of, but certainly sometimes they'll hit me up and go, hey, did you happen to see this one ended up at XYZ? So thanks again, Larry. Really appreciate it, man. An amazing 61 Lincoln Continental convertible sold for, get this, 250000 And with the fees, it was a $25,000 fee, so it was 275000 Now, this is the one Nick Griot had turned me on to because this was at the Gooding and Company auction house. Of course, there's 2,857 convertibles produced for 61, and this is the kicker. This is a super nice car. This car was on target. They, they had anticipated 140 to 180K. It blew past that. Now, here's the other cool thing about it is Chris Dunn from Lincoln Land had chimed in, and he said, hey, oh, by the way, this was a Lincoln Land restoration circa 2015-2016, this exact car uh, by Eric there at Lincoln Land. So certainly Lincoln Land is, you know, on point when it comes to these amazing cars. Um, you know, their list is is uh, tough to get on, if you will, because I'm sure they're super busy. But uh, certainly uh, it just goes to show to prove that, you know, even with some of these other cars that have sold for high prices, I mean, coming in at 200 and actually it's saying, when I had looked at it before, I swear it said 275, it's actually on their website right now, goodingco.com. So goodingco.com. Uh, you can even just Google 1961 Lincoln Continental Convertible, Gooding and Company, and you'll land right on it. This was a Pebble Beach auction $280,000. And that was without reserve. Now, the key thing here was, as Larry had pointed out, I talked to Larry not too long ago. He, of course, recently sold his convertible for $150,000. But he said, you know, Jason, you got to think about a couple of things. He goes, this was restored, extremely high standards, resulting in an AACA senior first place award. It's, of course, a prime example of the significance of the mid-century American design. And this car was spectacular. So it just goes to show you, it's not just the custom Lincolns that are selling for a lot. And certainly with the other example that I gave, I know some people will often see a two hundred and fifty or 280000 or heck, just 100000 and they immediately kind of go, damn, they're deflated. They say to themselves, hey, I'm never going to get one of these cars. And that's certainly not the case because, of course, some of these examples that I share are the outliers, right? The extreme examples of a super nice car that's going to attract these high-end bidders that have kind of maybe unlimited funds potentially, right? Or they're needing to spend their money to help out on their taxes or whatever they're doing with their money. But certainly, this is an example, you know, a couple different ones there if you keep your eye out enough, again, follow my YouTube channel, follow Lincoln Continental Sales, and then there's also other channels out there. 
um, in terms of just websites, different auctions, you know, keeping your ear out there is the key. So certainly um, wanted to share a few of those with you. Lincoln Continental Sales for this episode is brought to you by our family at AccuAir, A-C-C-U-Air.com. AccuAir is one of the leaders in air suspension packages. Primarily, they focus on the ride height sensors and some of those different controls so that you can control your adjustable suspension. As an example, I have AccuAir on my 64 Lincoln Continental. When I start the car, it auto-levels to where it's preset at. There's a leveler installed on each corner. And of course, when you first set it up, you set the height of each corner. And it will auto-level to that height. That includes if you have extra passengers in there. Or let's say you had a little leak in your system and you're driving down the road. For an hour, it will auto-correct as you're driving. It's a fantastic system. With their E+, ECU+, Plus, rather, you can actually control the um, adjustability from your phone. So let's say you're walking out of a restaurant and you want to be cool and you want to raise your car up as you're walking to it. You kind of open the AccuAir app, you connect or make sure that you're connected to the ECU+, Plus through Bluetooth, and you tap the number one, two, or three, and the car will auto-level. It's that easy. AccuAir.com. Okay, next... Lincoln's in movies, TV shows. I added music videos and what the heck album covers. Why not? So as I said at the top, anytime I'm into something, I really kind of get into it. And I do enjoy all aspects of Lincoln's, especially the 60s Lincoln's. I know oftentimes people will chime in on a comment here and there and they'll say, hey, you know, you don't post enough of this or enough of that. My focus is primarily 60s Lincoln just because that's what I like. It doesn't mean that I won't ever talk about other stuff or I won't ever post other things, but certainly from 61 to 69, there's plenty to talk about. And whether it be pop culture, like TVs and movies and so on and so forth, or just the cars themselves, right? There's plenty of photos out there for us all to share. But uh, certainly this one is kind of a cool one. So many of you have chimed in on my social media posts in the past. So they've said, hey, we know that you love sharing vehicles from different movies, right? But have you checked out such and such TV show? And one of those shows that always pops up, two of them, one is Perry Mason, which I've talked a little bit about that on, I think on YouTube, uh, maybe here as well. And the other one is Green Acres, So Green Acres is obviously before my time, but I have seen some of the episodes and it's always intriguing to me, as I've said before about Chips and some of these shows that I did grow up watching, that it's really a time capsule into that era, that day, that week, that year, that month, if you will, in terms of what was going on in the country. You know, what were the trends? Uh, As an example, not to go down this bunny trail, but If you look at, I think it's the first episode of Gilligan's Island, which was the pilot, there is a flag at half-staff, okay? And why is it at half-staff? Well, we'll talk about it in the future episode. I've mentioned it in social media. You can Google it um, if you want, if you can't wait till the next episode. But that was something that was happening at the time in our country, and they happened to be filming in Hawaii, and that's one of those kind of fun facts, pop culture type things that ties into, you know, our country's history. So again, 
that's the cool thing I love about um, these different TV shows, right? To get back to the point, you can really hone in on a specific time period. And one of those shows is Green Acres. Now, as I said, I'm not the biggest, you know, fan of Green Acres. Uh, I haven't seen every episode. Uh, I don't know every episode, but I will tell you this. I, the few episodes I've seen, I've seen the Lincolns in there. I know some of you guys have chimed in as well. One of my favorite episodes is episode four, I think it's season one. This show ran from 65 to 71, if I remember correctly. And there is a greenish 65 Lincoln Continental convertible. And if I remember, I think it was his first convertible and uh, it's so cool to see these cars there. Um, I know over the years, there was, I think, a 66 and a 67 Vert. And there were a couple of the Lehman Peterson limos as well. So um, it's pretty awesome to see that. Now, the reason why I say this is, again, I love pop culture. And I talk about some of this stuff over at OLP, the other podcast I produce. But um, something that's very, so, very much on my radar is... A movie site locations and TV site locations. I, I really dig this stuff. I went to California, as I mentioned a year ago, and I was kind of digging into some album cover type things and things that I enjoy. But there's a video that I think if you're a fan of Green Acres, or maybe you're just like, how do people figure this stuff out? Okay. This 20 minute video will blow your mind. It's not on my channel. Uh, but there's a guy named Stanley, S T A N L E Y, Foss, F O S S. And he has a video on YouTube. Now get this, it only has 695 views. It should really be in the millions. But it's called Green Acres Barn Location slash Lost Location Found. All right. And I stumbled across Stanley Foss's YouTube channel probably not too long ago because I follow a lot of this stuff with movie site locations. I can watch it all day. Uh, people that will go and find these locations. And I think it's neat because it's not so much maybe my favorite show, but the pop culture aspect of it, but really it's the hustle and determination. I, I'm really of the mindset that if you love doing something, whether it's collecting baseball cards or you know collecting albums or into Lincolns, if you're really into it, I, I, you know, I can tell. You know, Some of you guys can tell I'm really into Lincolns. But Stanley Foss, what he did in this video that ties in again to Green Acres, they've had Lincolns on there. What Stanley Foss did was the amount of determination that he figured out, the barn is from the intro of the episode. And I don't want to give it away, but he spends countless amounts of time. And it's so intriguing to me how he figures out exactly where the barn was at. And you would just go, how in this whole, you know, California, it's a sprawling area, you know, all of this development. It talks about William Randolph Hearst, you know, purchasing the land and just, I mean, really, I think Hollywood and just different outlets, they need to get behind this kind of media because there's so much cool stuff out there that people are uncovering. You know, some people enjoy going to a particular location where like a famous document was signed, right? And maybe now it's a mall and things like that. There's just so much out there on YouTube in this Green Acres Barn location, Lost Location Found by Stanley Foss. Super cool video. Uh, that's one that I'll talk about this month uh, or this episode rather. There's another channel that I'll talk about probably in the future where the guy really dives into Hollywood history a ton. And I don't want to say Stanley doesn't, but there's another channel I watch that 
really goes into a lot of movie and TV show filming locations like these mansions and things like that. It's really, really cool. So, again, if nothing else, if you've heard me ramble this long, check out that Green Acres barn location find. Even if you're not into Green Acres, I think you'll appreciate the hustle and determination and you're just like going to be blown away on how he figures it out. Pretty cool stuff. So, Stanley, if you happen to hear this, I'll mention to you in your um, in the comments on your video that I that I did mention it. If you happen to come here and, and listen to it, thanks for listening and uh, great job, dude. Okay, next I got Smuggler's Blues and Rita Hayworth updates. My 64 blue Lincoln Continental Convertible and my 65 red Lincoln Continental Convertible. As I've said in the past, I'm very thankful to have these two cars. I've spent a lot of time and a lot of money on both of these cars. And number one, if it wasn't for my friends, especially Tony Boss Bolin, Blair Farmer, TC, a.k.a. Teresa, uh, as well as Chris Dunn. I know John Cashman has helped me as well. Tony's family. Uh, a lot of people have helped tremendously on these cars, whether it just be you know, the custom blue 64 or the stock 65. And I wouldn't have the stock 65 if it wasn't for Robert. Uh, Defrang. So thank you so much again for selling me the car. I can't believe it's two years ago this month. It was September of 2021 that I purchased the car. And if you want to see the video of the day that it arrived, uh, go on YouTube and type in Lincoln Addict Rita Hayworth. Those videos will pop up and you'll see a video from September 2021 when the car hauler arrives. The car came all the way from Washington, although it was originally a California car. Robert, of course, took fantastic care of it up in Washington State, and it was shipped all the way from that corner of the country down to Florida, and I was so thankful that it was in one piece, right? No issues. The guy didn't leave the car idling. We put a, a note on the dash that said, do not leave this car idling. They are known to jump into reverse, as I preach to so many of you. And I'll say it again, public service announcement, do not leave these cars idling without your foot on the brake. You can't get out of these cars to run in, forgot to lock the door, forgot my wallet, turn the car off. You have to because these cars, not just Lincolns, other Fords are known to jump into reverse. And if they do, if there's someone behind, they're going to get badly injured. If nothing else, the car is going to roll until it hits something. And I've seen these cars heavily, heavily involved in accidents and potentially worse. So I want to throw that out there. But the 64 Lincoln Continental, the Patina Lincoln, as I kind of refer to it as, I've driven the car some. I've taken it to some local cruise-ins. I've just really had a blast doing it. The car is kind of a time capsule. It's it's a survivor car, but you'd walk up on it, the average person would just go, ah, it's kind of an old beater, you know, the paint is oxidized, the interior is kind of a little, you know, it's nice, but it's not perfect, uh, the engine bay is super clean, but uh, it kind of has a few leaks, and uh, it has air suspension, right, so it's kind of low, it's got the wide white wall tires, got the Colorado custom wheels, so other than really cruising the car, the only main thing that I've done is I took the new Colorado custom center caps that I got. So Michael and I worked on another idea for the center caps. And these center caps, if you go on my YouTube channel, I have a video on how they pop on. And it's this really cool concept that billet wheel companies have been using this for well over 30 years. 
and you basically bolt your wheel on, you know, take it for a drive, you know, then you kind of tighten your, you know, make sure your lug nuts are all tight, nothing's backed off. And once, you know, you've kind of put a few miles on it and all the wheels are tight, you have this awesome huge billet aluminum cap that has an O-ring on it. You put a little bit of lithium grease or whatnot on it, a little bit of lube, and you pop that cap on and you basically have this look where you see no lug nuts, you see no set screw, and it's a, such a cool concept. Now, what Michael and I and team over there, we worked on a new concept for a little tweak to the center caps. And what I did when I was at a local show um, in Tennessee, not local to me, but a show called The Spark Show, which is primarily trucks and mini trucks. Uh, back in August, I had a guy named Gooch, uh, Gooch uh, Customs. Uh, he went and pinstriped the Smuggler's Blues uh, with these colors that I wanted to infuse, if you will, into these center caps. It ties into the rendering that my friend Rendered by Thor did, uh, so shout out to Jake. It ties into the colors with the Miami Vice theme, and uh, it's going to be a nice addition. Now, I haven't put those on the car yet, believe it or not. You'd think, hey, why haven't you? And I just haven't taken the time. It takes a little bit to pop those big center caps off, right? So I want to be very careful to do that. I've taken them off before. I just really need a helping hand, so to speak, to be able to pop them off. But certainly, I'm going to pop those new center caps on, and I can't thank Colorado Custom Wheels enough. Again, coloradocustom.com with no S. You can check out their steering wheels and their Lincoln replica wheels. They're billet aluminum. You never have to worry about the caps flying off. And don't think, hey, I don't want to put big custom wheels on my stock Lincoln. They'll make these wheels in 15, 16, 17s. My wheels are actually 17 inch, and you would never know. A lot of people think they're 20 inch wheels. It's a 17 that kind of looks exactly like the original hubcap. It's a billet aluminum wheel with the center cap popped on. Wide white wall tire. Of course, you don't have to do a wide white and cruise it, right? So I've been really enjoying the car. I want to continue to do work to it, and I will provide updates in the future. Now on the red 65 Lincoln Continental Convertible, the big thing that I accomplished was I finished, along with Blair and Teresa, as well as Chris Dunn at Lincoln Land, we finished the AC upgrade. Now I know you're thinking, hey, what? What did you do to the AC? If you go on my YouTube channel, again, shameless plug, there's a video on there where I break down how you can get your air condition working more than likely. There's a couple of options. You know, one, if your system's never been kind of broken open and maybe it just leaked Freon over 60 years, certainly you can try to just recharge it. That would maybe be all you need and then you're good to go. There's, of course, an option to Upgrade some of the components. Maybe go with a newer style uh, compressor. Maybe you want to stay with the same York style compressor. I kind of cover different things. I do offer a little bit of hands-on discussion and showing you what we did. But the main thing is to kind of reinforce that you can get the AC working in these cars. And when it works, it blows cold. When it blows cold, my opinion, your car is worth a little bit more money. It's estimated through Haggerty that the cars with AC bring 10% more, right? So you would add 10% value. Let's say you have a car, it's worth 50 grand. 10% of 50 is right, 5K. 
So, you know, you're adding that value to your car. And certainly many times, as I mentioned before, on bring a trailer, oftentimes these cars do not have working air conditioning. So why not get your car working with ice cold AC? And I just give you some insight there. You could take it to your local mechanic. Uh, Blair and Teresa have some, some, you know, potential opportunity there to sell you some parts. If that's something you want to go down that route, you can email me lincolnatticpodcast at gmail.com. I'll get you in contact with them. But certainly uh, there's, there's several options that you have in the AC in my 65 is ice cold. And it's been that way. I've driven the car several times and it's, it's great, especially with the top up. If it's super hot, of course, with the top down, AC still works and uh, feels good. So those are the updates on Project Smuggler's Blues as well as my 65 Lincoln Continental Convertible Project Rita Hayworth. Uh, next, I want to give a shout out. Uh, and this one really goes to everyone, all the fans worldwide. I get a lot of people who reach out and some who even give shout outs on Facebook and they say, that, hey, they've learned something from the podcast. I'm certainly grateful for all of those mentions and I'm thankful for the base for which I have that's seems like ever growing. My YouTube videos certainly aren't getting tens of thousands of views, but with anything, you have to kind of grow it. And I continue to just really follow my passion, talking about these cars and kind of delving into all aspects of them, the custom side, the stock side, of course, the history is really what, uh, what I love about these cars. So certainly if you've commented on my YouTube or you've liked it, or you've commented on social media, or you've listened to this podcast as you are now, thank you very much, and I really appreciate the support. If you want to go a step further and you're on an iPhone, go to the podcast app, the purple pre-installed app, uh, search or select Lincoln Addict, and then leave a five-star review that helps the podcast. If you're on Spotify, you can give it a thumbs up, or whatever other app you're on, give it a thumbs up if you can. I really appreciate it. So next, before we talk about the differences between sedans and convertibles, a little bit too late for that, right? Uh, This is my off-topic closing thought. So this was a new segment I think I added last episode. And last time I went on a rant about, you know, customizing these 60s Lincolns. Well, this time I won't be talking about that. Uh, The comments have gotten a little bit better on Lincoln Addict social media. And I think that's because I'm posting more non-custom Lincolns. Or let's just say there's a better mix of cars. Um, You know, of course, I'm posting many stock cars, uh, some custom. But I do feel like I get the most love, believe it or not, on the non-custom cars, like the stock cars. So I think it's great. And again, I know people love to express their feelings. Some people hate that these cars are customized. You can hear me talk more about that on the last episode. Enough with that. But my off-topic closing comment for this month or this episode, is I want to give a huge shout out to Chris Dunn at Lincoln Land. So I know I mentioned him earlier, but when you think about the contributions that Chris has made, helping people all these, you know, all these years with parts, keeping these cars on the road, you know, having a tough decision, I'm sure over the course of time, do I part out a car? You know, wow, I've getting 20 calls for this piece other people need, but I don't want to cut this car up. Uh, but this car's rusty, right? I need to cut it up, right? I need to help other people keep their cars on the road. There's just so many different ways to kind of spin that. But again, going back to what I said earlier, 40 years, 40 plus. And 
I do hope that I can get Chris on. Um, I, I think Chris will come on the podcast, and I think it'll be a lot of fun. I mean, the guy is uh, he's a wealth of knowledge. He remembers so many of his customers. I'll post cars and on social media. He'll chime in on the post and say, oh, I remember that car. Here it was in 1978. The same owner still owns it. You know, some of the things I do to curate content now, Chris was doing 40 years ago with a point-and-click camera and photo albums developing film. Now, I did similar things in the truck world when I would go to shows back in 96, 97, 98, taking my camera, buying film, taking the photos, coming home, getting it developed, putting it into photo albums, then, like many of us did over the course of our lives, and then, you know, now all these years later, scanning those photos and sharing them on social media. So, but again, Chris predates stuff I was doing in the mid-90s all the way back to the late 70s into the 80s and 90s, and it's just a wealth of information. And as an example, there's a book that I'll, I'll mention when I talk about convertibles versus sedans, but this book is called Lincoln 1958-1969. So 58 to 69, that 10-year span by James Howell. And uh, this book has a ton of photos from Lincolnland. And Chris, as an example, on page 62, it says a 1961 Lincoln Continental Convertible visits Chicago in 1996. Chris Dunn, owner of Lincolnland in Florida, visited Chicago recently in his white convertible. Pretty awesome stuff. And again, he was doing what I kind of refer to as of vlogging or I guess blogging, if you will, taking photos where he was going back then and had the foresight to, you know, take the photo, develop the film, keep it, keep it organized. Some of it's dated on the film. Others are handwritten on the back. Just tremendous amount of information. And I can't thank him enough because I tell you what, a lot of this history is kind of lost on these cars uh, meaning that, you know, try to find photos from the 70s and 80s and 90s with these cars. I mean, there's not a lot. You know, early 2000s, Mob Steel, you know, customizing the cars, a couple here and there. You know, obviously, Entourage Show, we've talked a little bit about that. You know, so on and so forth. And they gained steam over the past 20 years. You start seeing them at SEMA. You got a custom one here and there, airbag this. But now, it's not that easy to find the old photos. And that's what I enjoy sharing Uh, I purchased some old photo albums um, from people over the course of time, which I think is going to be a cool way to continue sharing some of those old memories and legacies. But certainly Chris Dunn at Lincoln Land, I got to tip my cap because I tell you what, every time I talk with him, it's always some great gems. So I appreciate that, Chris. And team, TC, George, Linda, can't forget John. You guys know who you are. Appreciate every one of you guys. All right, so last but not least, our title subject, sedans versus convertibles, and I want to give a huge shout-out to Devious Customs. Again, I know some of you are thinking, hey, I don't want to customize my Lincoln. That's okay. Go to DeviousCustoms.com, and if you go under the Lincoln section, everything is listed there under kits and parts. Go to Shop Lincolns, and you're going to see that the ideas that Jeff and team continue to come up with are fantastic, whether you want speaker boxes, the... uh, switch panels where your window switches reside. You know, some of these parts that are going to cost you this much, if you can even find a good used part, you're going to get a new billet aluminum part 
And in some examples, you're going to save some money. So whether you're looking to customize your car or maybe just lightly bring it back to a functioning ride, hit up deviouscustoms.com. Okay, so a little bit longer episode than I anticipated, but I've long wanted to go down the bunny trail of what are the main differences between these 60s Lincolns, the sedans, and the convertibles, or is it the difference between the convertibles and the sedans, right? So the convertible was made from 61 to 67. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So that seven-year period, you had the convertibles that were built. Now, I will talk a little bit about numbers on this episode, but I don't want to go down too too much of the production type stuff. I'm going to talk a little bit about the differences in prices and things like that. But just for the record, for those years, there were 21,347 convertibles that were built. That's in comparison to 245,899 sedans, right? So there was a huge difference in in those two models. So that, that means that I think it was, if you just compare those two, it was like 224,552 more sedans were, were produced over the convertibles, right? So it's, that's a huge number. Now, growing up, as I've said in the past, uh, my birthday is on November 23rd. The Kennedy assassination, although not the same year that I was born, was on November 22nd. So every year around my born day, I would be entranced by these different specials and things like that relating to the anniversary of JFK's assassination. So I quickly was intrigued by the car that he was in that led me to read a lot about the assassination. And I'm kind of, that's another thing that I'm into uh, reading all of that stuff and learning all about that fateful day in Dallas. But growing up, as I've said too, in the 1989 cult classic Gleaming the Cube, it's a skateboard movie, uh, Christian Slater jumps into the back of a black 65 Lincoln Continental, and, or he in the back seat, rather, and they show the deck lid kind of going up, and then they show the deck lid going down, and you got this big boat of a car that's, you know, driving like they stole it, basically, uh, throughout the car. So I've always kind of intrigued. Some of these movies and some of the things that I've been into have been somewhat linked to Lincoln's. So as I got older and I said, hey, you know, I want to learn more about these cars and I want to go down the bunny trail and I want to own one one day, I started to want to understand a little bit some of the differences between these cars. So bottom line is from 61 to 65, there were just the two models. You, Well, there's three models. Uh, you had basically the sedan, you had the convertible, and then in 64, they started the limo, okay? So the limo, I'm not going to really count. And in 66, the coupe rolled out, right? So we talked a little bit about that. So you basically had the sedan, the convertible. 66 comes the coupe. Again, you can slice and dice it and say, hey, Jason, in 64, the limo rolled out. And you could also slice and dice it. Things I've read stated that in 1961, they did produce four hardtops. Okay, I don't want to go too far down the bunny trail. What's the difference between a hardtop and sedan? You can look those up. But bottom line, there were four hardtops produced, which meant that it did not have that middle B pillar. 
Okay. Now those cars, I don't know if they still exist today. There is some documentation that I think one of them was maybe even photographed in the 61 brochure. There's been some people that have said that the one pillar um, was airbrushed in to make it look like it was actually there. It's hard to kind of tell that, but regardless, bottom line is there's the sedan, there's the convertible. Those are the main two options. Then, of course, 66, which may not be everyone's favorite year. You have the coupe come around. So what I'm going to cover are the differences that you may or may not know and the convertibles versus the sedans. And then I will go through each of the years, only 61 to 67. Those were the years that the convertible was produced. And I'll talk about some of the differences, if any, those particular years. Now, some of them are going to be kind of the, the resounding thing is the difference every single year. So from 61 to 67, there's one thing that like is the key difference between convertibles and sedans. So we'll, we'll get to that. But number one, let's start off with, of course, the retracting soft top, obviously, right? That's the quote convertible. Now, keep in mind, this includes all the components of the convertible, including I'm just going to name a few here. What's in the trunk? You know, the cylinders, the rams, the relays, uh, including the relays behind the rear seat, which is the deck unlock and the deck open. Of course, you've got different switches. You've got the hoses. You've got fluid. Uh, the wiring that goes to all of that. You've got the wiring pigtails. You have the uh, locks in the trunk, uh, the solenoids. You have the upper back panel switch that's underneath the the you know the, the trunk lid the deck lid. You have the top down limit switch um, at the windshield header along with the locks themselves. Uh, you have the all the casting of the bracketry for the convertible top. You have the luggage compartment uh, door lock, what they I think they refer to as the transmissions, right? The little things that go ee, and then when they hit, they kind of go and then they they kind of secure. Some people say they secure the deck lid down, but I think the main thing is for it to align the deck lid perfectly so that you know the, the, the gapping on each side is correct. I think Nathan Wilson talks a little bit about that in some of his videos because he actually takes those off, believe it or not, in some of his custom builds. I think all of his custom builds, or most of them, he actually removes those, which is kind of a maybe not everyone's favorite mod, so to speak, but certainly... Bottom line is my understanding is not only do they hold down the deck lid technically, but I think their main purpose is to align it as it goes down so that it's, you know, the correct gapping or spacing on each side. So obviously convertible versus sedan, that's the number one thing. That's what we know. They always say when the top goes down, the cost goes up, right? So what's next? You have the auto drop rear windows, which are key for the rear window to seal properly against not only the front glass, uh, but also at the top where the convertible seals at. This meant that the rear glass is different as well, so it's a little bit longer, and the components in the door are obviously different because that's what makes the auto drop work. So if you want more information on that, Pat Tian, shout out to Pat, he does some cool videos, kind of shorter ones on his YouTube channel, and he actually has come up with a mod to be able to do that auto drop with some newer technology in the sedans. And that's so that people can kind of mod their sedan to get rid of that B pillar. But that's for a whole nother episode. Pat and I have kind of talked a little bit about that in the past on this podcast. But, you know, if you're keeping score at home right now, bottom line is, 
the top obviously is retracting. Number two, the rear windows auto drop, and then you've got the components that go along with that. Now, some rear doors, I think in the different years, for the most part, they are technically different. Um, we actually just worked on my 64. I got to give a huge shout out to Tony Boss Boland. Forgot to mention this earlier. We had to get my rear passenger door to be able to roll the window up. The auto drop would go down. I could roll it down, but it would not roll up. So that's for a whole other episode. But I can tell you this. If you have a convertible and you open that rear door, whether your auto drop works or not, if you look inside that door, mine's missing one of the plates actually on the door that we were working on. There's a little cover that goes over where that knife switch and everything kind of bolts in, so to speak. So you could technically slice a dice and go, hey, the rear doors are a little different. In some cases, if you were you know, looking to take a sedan door and put it onto a convertible, let's say there was damage or something, I think technically you would have to, if you wanted the auto drop to work, you would have to maybe notch out some of that area where some of those components would go, right? So again, that's being very technical, but if you think about the differences, that is one as well. Now, in addition, this is something don't really talk a lot about, and I'm not going to go into a lot of detail, but there are front and rear what they call counterweights underneath the car. And you may have seen these. I've seen people in the past like post and go, what is this? Now, I've read somewhere, I think in the LincolnForum.net, that they were not on the early 61s, possibly. I don't know if anybody can confirm this. Um, and maybe, I think Todd Allen, shout out to Todd, he's a wealth of information. I think he has posted in the past and said he believes that due to a vibration problem, they, you know, Lincoln Motor Company ended up adding these. So again, I don't know how much information there is on that, but I can tell you this, the difference the convertibles do have these what they call counterweights, and they're up underneath the car, and maybe I'll do a video about those in the future. Now, there is additional bracing underneath the convertible. So if you have a convertible, you should have these two bars that go up underneath where the front cross member's at. you got these two big uh, bolts that bolt up in there. Now we have seen, and I've seen this before, where these are missing on cars because people work on them and things like that. But just know, again, not going to go into a lot of detail, there are these additional big braces and that kind of is just helping with the overall fact that it's a unibody car. There's no roof on it, so to speak, a, a typical roof, if you will. So they did build in extra bracing. Now, in addition to that, uh, I was talking to Tony Boss Bowen and he reminded me, and I was trying to find it in some of my books, some of my literature here. I do believe the rocker panels as well. So if you think about where the two doors open and you got your sill plates where you would step over to step into the compartment of the car, right? Into the cabin in the front or rear seat. Underneath those sill plates, you've got all that metal. Now, I've helped cut up a couple of Lincolns that were kind of total rust buckets. And even a rust bucket Lincoln, when you start to cut through some of that bracing, is very, very, very strong. Now, my understanding is on the convertibles, and I know I've read this before, it is a little beefier underneath there in the rocker panel. So that is a difference as well. Again, the structure of it, adding a little bit of rigidity, I think is the word, uh, to the body of the car again, because it is unibody. They started the unibodies in 58, and that's some of what, that's a big portion of what this book, Lincoln 58 to 69, actually goes over. I know it's a little bit tough to find, but this is a great book, and there's a lot of good information in it. 
Now, in addition, uh, the engine mounts, they do use, I think, adapter plates is what they're called. And that was, I believe, from 61 to 65. Of course, in 66, they went to the 462, and I don't think they did that any further. But there is, um, that's a minor difference in the convertibles versus the sedans. Now, I could have mentioned this one earlier. Obviously, the deck lid opens in reverse fashion from the sedan. Obviously, that's because the soft top has to retract into the trunk space. Again, you'll often see one of these Lincolns at a show where you've got all four doors. The coach slash suicide doors are all open. The hood on the convertibles and sedans is forward tilting. The deck lid on the convertible opens backwards, right? And then you'll have this car kind of all opened up. You've seen these kind of photos and videos before. Uh, if you have a sedan, the sedan trunk lid or deck lid is going to open the same typical way where you go back, you put a key in, and you lift it up like a normal car. Now, in 64, you could select a blue soft top based upon the convertible interior configuration. And I did find in 63, you could do that as well. There was a blue with a black lining available in 63, and that was depending on the trim options. I'm sure there were exceptions made, but for the most part, that's more of a specific to the different years. Uh, you would argue and say, well, yeah, it's a convertible. You know, you pick a different top. That's just a minor difference that, you know, the, the look of the car would be different. Obviously, one, it's a convertible, but it didn't have to be a white or it didn't have to be a black top depending on the year depending on the interior configuration. Now, here's a big one. The convertible automatically receives leather, whereas the sedans would be required to pay, get ready for it, a $100 additional fee. So more than likely, if someone has the money back in that time period, $6,000 plus to spend on a car, which was a lot, by the way, do the conversion back in 61, they were more than likely... They're going to get leather. Now, I've seen primarily leather in these cars. We've certainly seen examples where there are cloth or there, you know, these other configurations. There were a ton of them. But just know, technically, the convertibles automatically had leather. Uh, you could change some of the configurations, but the sedan was vinyl or other material. You had to pay $100 to get leather, which still wasn't a bad deal. Now, the price was another big difference, okay? So we're going to talk about that in the production. So let's just go through the production briefly. So in 61, you had about 19,500 more sedans than convertibles. In 62, you had tw roughly 25,000 more sedans than convertibles. In 63, that number, again, was about 25,000. 64, there were almost 30,000 more sedans. In 65, there were 33,500 more sedans. In 66, there were 32.6, almost 33,000 more sedans. And then 67, finally, there were 30,000 more sedans than convertible. So, again, that's a huge difference in the total convertibles, 21,347 for that seven-year period. Now, if we look at the total sedans, not including 68 or 69, that was 216,180. So 
a huge difference. 216,000 sedans, not including 68, 69, and you had 21,347 convertibles for that period run. Now, the price difference, this is what kind of really is crazy to me. Although these cars were expensive, the price difference wasn't as crazy as you would think. So in 61 and 62, it was 346 or excuse me, it was $646 more for a convertible. And that actually was 61, 2, and 3, and 4. Yeah, so it was $646 from 61, 62, 63, and 64 more for a convertible. Now in 65, it was $506. In 66, it was 633 And then finally in 67, it was $655, give or take. So you can see, obviously, that's a difference in the convertibles versus the sedans if you're really kind of breaking this stuff down. Now, those are kind of the main key items. Now, in the sedans, I really only have a couple items to hit on here. If you really think about it, is the sedans, I believe, were all, the limos were made from sedans, right? So even the SX100X, which was the car that JFK was riding in, right, his 61 Although it was a 61, it was technically not a convertible. It had a top that they would put onto it. I mean, it was a custom one-off car, basically. And that car, I would assume, I mean, I've seen a lot of photos of it, even when Hessen and uh, the, the company, I forget the other name, Hessen with, with an E, when they were building it, I, I do believe it started as a sedan, but again, that was in 61. Then you get to 64 when the limos actually started, and my assumption would be all of those cars started as sedans. Uh, so that's one kind of item there. And then obviously the dome light. So if you have a sedan, uh, you do have a dome light. Now keep in mind, uh, changes to the doors and the courtesy lights will kind of cover as we go through these next few years, which will kind of go a little bit quicker, I think, and then we'll wrap up this episode. So in 61, of course, Lincoln Motor Company introduces the 61 Continental Convertible. It was the world's only four-door production at the time, and it really represented Lincoln's classic new look, uh, trim, size, award-winning styling, and so on. Many of you chime in and say, hey, it's my favorite year. Love the car. Some of you guys love the, the, the front bumper, how it kind of resembles the Thunderbird a little bit. That's because of you know the design being so beloved apparently and you know that they were trying to design the thunderbird and things like that and there's a whole story behind that but bottom line is many people love the 61 it's their favorite favorite year now some of these things are going to be the same when you look at the standard equipment versus the convertible you had the metallic finished leather upholstery in eight colors again as i said i'm not going to say this every year but it was standard on convertibles it was a hundred dollars on the sedans you had the fully automatic convertible top, obviously if it's a convertible model only. You had the power-operated deck lid is how they spun it in the literature. And then you had the automatic retracting rear door windows, which is technically the term, you know, we sometimes say bucket seats, but, you know, they're all obviously called adjustable, individual adjustable contour seats. Well, the same thing here, we call it auto drops, but it, I think technically in the brochure, when I looked it up, it was automatic retracting rear windows, rear door windows. Now, the optional equipment, uh, again, was the $100 for the convertible you could spend for the leather. And then the top colors, you had black, black or white, black 
couple of different options there. Uh, the nylon net cloth and the wool broadcloth were standard on sedans. Metallic leather was standard on convertible models. So I, I meant to clarify this above where it says metallic finish leather upholstery in eight colors. Convertibles could be special ordered with nylon net cloth, but they actually came with the meta- what they called the metallic leather uh, was standard. So kind of I think it was the sheen, if you will. So in 62, it was very much the same. There is a note that I found, though. Early production sedan rear doors did not have courtesy lights installed in the armrest. All convertibles and late production sedans had them installed for 62, and both models included the rear courtesy lights as standard for the entire 63 model. Now, in 62, Lincoln convertible tops, they feature kind of a wider, flat, or flatter roof bows that gave the convertible the appearance of a hardtop with the top raised. The difference between 61 and 62 is like three quarters of an inch. So it wasn't very much. Uh, Very similar to the cloth situation, they had like two design patterns were offered for cloth seats that year. Kind of very technical there. Now, I do believe when I was hanging out with Chris Dunn not too long ago, as we get into 63 here in just a minute, so that was still on 62. I was looking at my notes here. I do believe when I, I was with Chris, we rode in his 63 sedan, so I want to talk about a call-out here. But when you get to 63, you basically have the eight colors, uh, genuine leather, eight colors in the convertible only, and some of the other same stuff, including dome and courtesy lights on the front and rear doors. Dome on sedan only, of course, rear door lights new on sedans. Optional equipment included the leather for the sedans. You had the couple of colors uh, for the top, including the blue and black lining. Also, again, something that I think Chris pointed out to me on his 63, he had, and it was a sedan that we were riding in, I believe he had the vacuum release for the trunk. So that would be something that's different in the sedan versus the convertible. Because remember, in the convertible, you couldn't walk up to the to the trunk and insert a key. There's no keyhole because the deck lid opens in reverse from the switch, either on the dash or in 66, 67. You could insert the key by the fuel filler and you could turn it left or right to uh, put the, tr- uh, the top up or the top down. But in the sedans, there was an option that you could open your glove box and you could, I think it was, you pull the lever and that was the vacuum release to pop the trunk. So kind of an extra thing. Let's say you were pulling up at the golf course and you wanted to get your golf clubs out. Maybe you don't want to stick the key in the back. You would just lean over, open the glove box, pop the trunk. And then when you would lock up and go to the trunk, you grab your stuff out and close it. Done. I believe that was 63. You guys will have to chime in in the Lincoln Addict Facebook group to discuss that further. Okay, 64, same type stuff. I know a leather pleated design in 10 colors uh, that was standard on convertibles. You had uh, the convertible top was a five-ply top, heavy, a satin-grained, wrinkle-resistant, you know, kind of a lot of words that they use there. You had the black, you had the white, and then you had the blue, The blue was only available in trims 52, which was the blue biscuit design contour seats, or 82, which was the light blue pleated design bench seat. That's what I have on my 64. It was blue interior with the pleated seats, 
and it has a blue top. In 65, pretty much the same stuff again, the retractable uh, self-storing convertible top. Uh, they had low luster leather rollover pleat upholstery in 11 colors. That was, of course, standard on convertibles. And uh, leather upholstery was standard in convertible 64, but a new low luster finish, of course, was introduced in 65. We'll talk about the convertible top colors. You had black, you had white, you had tan option, and then you had the dark blue. A vinyl roof on the sedans was the first uh, full year uh, for a vinyl roof. I think that they had tested that on the on the Lido, 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 I believe is how you pronounce it, on that previous kind of custom car that Lincoln built. But of course, a vinyl roof in 65, the first year that you can get that. In 66, to start kind of wrapping this stuff up, you had pretty much the same stuff. Uh, I did find in some of the brochures, uh, something I want to call out is you had the I didn't mention this, but in 61 to 65 convertibles, you had a plastic back window. In 66 and 67, many of you know, you have a glass back window because it's a totally different setup. You can't just put a glass window in a 61 to 65. You can't do it. So in 66, you have a, a glass rear window in the convertible. You have a trunk open light uh, for the convertible. And you have, of course, the retracting uh, top for the convertible. Uh, the optional equipment uh, talks about the power door locks, it says, coupe or sedan or convertible. So I would think that they were standard, but I don't know what the, what the deal is there. You had a trunk open light that was standard on convertibles. And then you had leather with vinyl trim standard on convertibles. Uh, the top was available in black, white, or blue. And 67 was pretty much the same. Uh, the spare tire cover in 67 was standard on convertibles. It was 1095 on sedans. Uh, in 67, the top uh, colors were black, white, or blue. So there you have it. Kind of seems like a lot, but I think it's more than the average person thinks about. When I sum it up and I look at if you park a 64 Lincoln next to you know a sedan next to a 64 convertible, you kind of go, okay, well... One has a top, one doesn't. But if you really kind of break it down and you go, well, you got the auto drops. Well, you don't, you know, your deck lid opens the other way. You have these uh, counterweights underneath the car. You have these few things, and I always wanted to kind of break it down, mostly for my brain, but I figured some of you guys would maybe appreciate it. Thus, it ended up as episode 33 of Lincoln Attic Podcast. Okay, and before. I forget, I did touch base with Tony Bolin, and he mentioned a couple of items here. So the 6667 rear upper bumper bar was different for the convertibles as it had to make room for the deck lid to open and not hit. So I don't know if that was like an afterthought thing or if it was something that just had to, of course, in production be accounted for. But that's one of those weird nuanced things when, let's say, you own a 6667 and you're looking for a rear bumper. The prices sometimes are elevated because if you have a convertible, you have to have a convertible-only part. So that's one. So good catch, Tony, on that. He did remind me, too, our understanding is the convertible rear leaf springs are a bit more beefier. Uh, the 65, 61 through 65 back glass I had mentioned... And then he had mentioned to me on the sedans, there was the C-pillar lights. 
And I forget if that started in 61, but if you have a sedan, let's say in your, you know, the back passenger, if they're sitting on the left side and they look back, you know, they turn their head to their left, they're going to see that light there. And the same thing if you're on the right side and you turn to the right. So you've got that, I guess, C-pillar light, courtesy style light type thing. And of course, that's uh, when someone turns the dome light on, you would have whatever lights in the front, the dome light, and then those rear C-pillar lights. So those were a few that he added. I am going to do a discussion in the Lincoln Addict Facebook group to kind of you know find out from folks if you listened what are some differences that you're aware of? Maybe some that I missed. I'm sure there's other nuances, uh, maybe some big things as well. So uh, thanks for listening so far. A couple of things I'll end with is this. Get on the LincolnForum.net. There's a lot of good history. There's a lot of great info. There's a lot of great people. You can search in there and you can find the answers to so much stuff. I love it. Thanks to Dan for all that he does over the years to maintain the site and keep it going for hopefully years to come. Check out and buy a manual for your car. Uh, If you're wanting to purchase, let's say, a 65 Lincoln, go buy the 65 maintenance manual, okay, or whatever year. Uh, These are readily available from Lincoln Land. You can find them on eBay. Uh, The good thing about these things is there's a ton of information. There's a lot of illustrations. Pretty much anything you need to know, torque specs, they're all here. Uh, here's one fun fact. If you look in, I'm looking in my 65 book now. All of the stuff that I break down on YouTube, it's all right here. The Lincoln Continental warranty plate with all of the information, the DSOs, the transmission codes, the assembly plants, everything is right here in these books. Okay. And last, I already gave the shout out Lincoln 1958 to 1969. This book is a little tough to find. It may be out of print. It's by James W. Howell, and it's a great book. There's a lot of history in it. I'll cover more in the future. Thanks so much for all the support. If you like what I'm doing here, again, check out LeakinAttic.com. You can buy a shirt or a sticker. Thanks so much. Don't forget to subscribe to YouTube. Stay on the rise, everyone. We out of here. (laughs) 